Hello from AEI in Washington, D.C., and welcome to the Campus Exchange Podcast. I'm Jeff Pickering, Director of Academic Programs here at the American Enterprise Institute, where we connect college and university students with our nation's leading scholars to think about public policy and improve civic engagement. Before we talk about today's episode, I want to remind you to apply for AEI's 2024 Summer Honors Program. If you're listening to this in February, you're in luck because the deadline to apply is March 1st. This annual program is the best way for undergrads to get involved with our think tank and join our growing collegiate network. The program is a fully funded week-long experience to study policy with AEI scholars like Yuval Levin and Christine Rosen, as well as outside scholars like David French and Mary Hirschfeld. Meet other students from campuses around the country and world and build your professional network in Washington. To apply yourself or to nominate someone you think would love it, visit AEI.org SHP. Now on to today's episode of the Campus Exchange. We welcome back another AEI Collegiate Network member from the University of Michigan. Congratulations, by the way, to the Wolverines on their national championship. The interviewer today is network member Brady Nichols, who will be in conversation with AEI scholar Steve Kamen about Kamen's recent debate on whether or not Argentina should adopt the U.S. dollar as its official currency. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Jeff. My name is Brady Nichols, and I'm a sophomore at the University of Michigan studying economics and Spanish. Today, I'm grateful to be speaking with Stephen B. Kamen, who is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he conducts research on international macroeconomic and financial issues. Before joining AEI, Dr. Kamen spent 32 years at the Federal Reserve, as well as other organizations such as the World Bank and the Bank for International Settlements. Dr. Kamen's work has been published in numerous economic and financial journals. He holds a BA in economics and history from the University of California, Berkeley, and a PhD in economics from MIT, and I'm so glad to have him here to talk today. Dr. Kamen, thanks for joining me. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here, Brady. I'm delighted to be part of this conversation and look forward to uh, hearing what uh, questions you have for me. So we're going to talk a little bit about dollarization today. Uh, with a specific emphasis on um, what's going on in Argentina right now and the recent proposals about dollarization. Um, So in December, you recorded a video debate where you argued in favor of dollarization for Argentina. Uh, Would you mind summarizing both the pros and cons of dollarization and uh, why do countries adopt it and what are they usually looking to accomplish by that? Sure. Countries will adopt um, dollarization for various reasons, but I think the main one is to try to get control over inflation. And so the most important pro of dollarization is going to be to get inflation reduced from very high rates uh, you know, to more normal levels. And by more normal levels, I mean something like 2 or 3%, such as we have in the United States and other advanced economies. So by adopting the U.S. dollar as your currency, you more or less import inflation as it exists in the United States and other advanced economies. And by getting inflation down from very high rates, you know, upwards of 10, 20, 30, or 40% or higher, to 
something under 5%. That allows businesses to make better decisions and uh, allows, you know, savers to be able to maintain the value of their saving and in many ways uh, increases economic growth, you know, which is kind of the name of the game for economic policy. In addition to getting inflation down, some other benefits are it provides an incentive uh, for countries to get their uh, their fiscal budgets balanced because they can no longer print money to finance it. Having a stable currency also encourages savers to put their deposits in the banks, uh, and then those banks can then relend the money to businesses that are investing, and that also promotes economic growth. So those are the uh, main pros for dollarization. And those are the reasons why Argentina is giving it some consideration. There are indeed some cons to dollarization. The first one that economists point to is that it, by getting rid of your own currency, you no longer have an exchange rate between your currency and somebody else's. And so you basically eliminate the flexibility of the exchange rate, which can be a help for the economy. Uh, a second consideration that people talk about is, is that when you dollarize and you give up your own currency, that means that you're also giving up your own monetary policy. And basically, you're adopting uh, the monetary policy of the United States. And uh, the Federal Reserve makes its monetary policy decisions for the benefit of the U.S. economy, not other countries. And so it could be uh, that you're importing the wrong kind of monetary policy. A third factor that economists point to is that, you know, when uh, you dollarize and when you're essentially forced to reduce your budget deficits because, uh, you know, you don't have your own currency where you can print, that's kind of like a, uh, a kind of kludgy artificial uh, way of promoting fiscal reform. And it doesn't really promote a longer term, more democratic, more organic policy prudence. And then the final point that uh, economists uh, make is that one of the things the central bank does is it occasionally lends money uh, to ailing banks, you know, banks that need liquidity. Uh, and when you don't have your own currency, you can't print money in order to lend to banks. And so that can make it a little bit difficult, more difficult uh, to address financial distress. So those are the kind of the pros and the cons. I tend to think that the pros for Argentina, given its tremendous history of inflation and all the difficulties it had, that those outweigh the cons. But other people have different views, as you might have noted when you watched the debate between me and my long-term friend and colleague, Mark Sobel. Now, you asked why, you know, why countries adopt. Well, as I said, uh, in Argentina's case, the likely reason would be to get inflation down. I think that was true of Ecuador as well when it dollarized. On the other hand, El Salvador uh, dollarized, I think, more to develop closer relations and closer trade relations with the United States than to get inflation down, per se. Uh, That's very interesting. Now I'd like to touch a little bit some of the reasons why you are more in favor of dollarization for Argentina. In uh, a November 27th article you wrote, uh, you called dollarization Argentina's last chance of economic stability. Why do you view this measure as a last chance? And what other options has Argentina exhausted or tried in the past? And why is this particular moment or situation different? 
Right. Well, good question. Well, let me let me uh, put it in the context of my own personal journey uh, with Argentina's macroeconomic history. So uh, I was the uh, what we call the country desk officer, which is the person that follows uh, Argentine developments and reports on them. Uh, when I worked at the Federal Reserve back in 1989 and, and 1990, uh, which is admittedly for you guys a ways back. And uh, I had the privilege of reporting on Argentina's economy when it went through this incredible hyperinflation in those two years that culminated where in March of 1990, that month alone, prices went up by 180%. So that was a very traumatic experience for Argentina, as you can imagine. And when they came out of it, the whole country looked like it was really going to try to like reduce its fiscal deficits, get inflation down and do so permanently. And they put in a plan called the convertibility plan that didn't adopt the U.S. dollar, but basically linked their currency to the U.S. dollar very strongly. And at the time, I thought, wow, they've really now gotten their fiscal religion. They're going to do the right thing. They're going to get inflation down. They're going to keep inflation down. But I was wrong. Uh, Over time, over the course of the 1990s, the fiscal deficits uh, grew larger again as they preferred to spend and not raise taxes to pay for it all. And then by the uh, early 2000s, they had a giant financial crisis and they adopted uh, much more kind of like socialist leaning policies under a new Peronist government and, you know, defaulted uh, on their external debt and, you know, and their economy did very poorly. Then later in the decade, they elected a more conservative kind of orthodox economic leaning president, Mauricio Macri, who wanted to put in a lot of economic reforms. Everybody thought that was great. I thought it was great too. It looked like finally Argentina was going to close the book on its high inflation. They actually managed to sell 100-year bonds to investors, but they did not pursue their reforms quickly enough and inflation started uh, rising again. Uh, The government lost popularity and the following election, they were booted out and replaced again with the, by the Peronists, who again introduced much less prudent economic policies. So after two times when it looked like they were going to have reforms to get inflation down and keep it down, and they failed, my view was, this is it. I cannot depend on, this, on their government to keep inflation down sustainably. They've got to do something to lock themselves into good policies. And that's what dollarization is all about. And so that's why I favor it. And that's why I feel that one more time down this road with hyperinflation, and and really, I don't know what that country is going to do. That is a fascinating history. You mentioned previously in your answer to the first question that Argentina is not the only American country to consider this. Ecuador and El Salvador have both implemented the U.S. dollar. What, in your opinion, makes Argentina's economic situation similar and or different uh, from those of the two others? Well, just to be clear, there's so there are three economies in Latin America that are dollarized. Uh, one of them is Panama. And, you know, it dollarized when it was created by virtue of the U.S. intervention as they created the canal. So I think that was really done more for political reasons, you know, than for economic ones. Uh, El Salvador also had managed to get inflation down using a pegged exchange rate even before it dollarized. 
So as I mentioned before, its main reasons for dollar rising were more to kind of enhance uh, trade relations with the United States. Uh, Ecuador is the country that I think has the most parallels uh, to Argentina in the sense that Ecuador also had had a roller coaster ride of economic booms and busts, coupled with high inflation and occasional large devaluations. It dollarized as a way to kind of get out of that vicious cycle. And uh, dollarization has not uh, solved all its problems. It hasn't even solved many of its problems, but it solved a couple of the most important problems. Mainly, it's gotten inflation down. So in that respect, Argentina, you know, is most similar in that respect to Ecuador. Now, some people bring up, and uh, one of the one of the experts, Ellen Mead, that was at my webinar debate last month, noted that Argentina is a lot larger uh, than Panama and uh, Ecuador. And so what's good for those countries might not be so good for a large economy like Argentina's. But I actually don't understand why it should be the case uh, that dollarization would be less appropriate for a large economy like Argentina. It seems like all the same uh, considerations, the same pros and cons uh, apply to Argentina as they would to a much smaller country uh, that, uh, you know, that needed to the dollar in order to stabilize. And I would note that I think there's a parallel uh, in the euro area where, you know, some very large economies like, you know, Germany, France and Italy are linked together uh, and they share a common currency. There have been problems, but I don't think those relate to the size of their economies per se. As we know, economic decisions don't occur in a vacuum. And there's been a lot of political turnover going on in Argentina. And so I I wondered about your thoughts on the person who's actually kind of brought dollarization to the forefront of Argentina's economic conversation. So it's Javier Millet, the new president there, is a very controversial figure who has drawn a lot of comparisons to politicians like Donald Trump or Bolsonaro in Brazil. Do you think the public perception of a leader might influence their ability to implement a policy as daring or drastic as dollarization? And if so, do you think Malay is the right person to, uh, to carry out this change? Well, Brave, that's a, that's a very good question uh, and provides a lot of food for thought. Why don't we start with the obvious, uh, that Javier Malay is pretty wacky. He is a very unconventional uh, politician, to say the least. Well, Okay, so first, as for his adoration of Bolsonaro and Trump, I certainly cannot relate to that, uh, and I, you know, and I don't favor that, you know, for lots of reasons, both economic and political. Both of those figures are somewhat anti-democratic, and for that matter, Malay is as well. You know, he, you know, he has very strong views, somewhat autocratic tendencies. And some fairly bizarre views, including, I think in his campaign mentioned, an interest in promoting a free market in body parts for transplants, other unusual things. But, uh, but he's their president, and so, you know, we've got to work with what we got here. Now, it is true that because he he's not only wacky, uh, but he has a very thin power base. And that will make it difficult for him to pursue the economic reforms that are needed in order to get inflation down and rebuild reserves, foreign exchange reserves, 
so that if he chooses later, he can implement dollarization. So a more conventional politician that had a wider power base would be better positioned to implement the economic reforms that are needed in order to provide a basis for dollarization. So that is true. But on the other hand, a more conventional politician with a wider power base might not have opted for a policy as unusual, unorthodox, and risky as dollarization in the first place. So in other words, it, it probably has taken a pretty wacky politician in order to opt for a policy that I think might be in Argentina's long-term interest. So as I said, that's why you know he's, he's really quite the double-edged sword. I don't agree with lots of his actual political views or his social views, but if he actually succeeds in cutting the budget, rebuilding reserves, and somewhat down the road, actually dollarizing the Argentine economy, at least on the economic front, you know, he will have done a good thing for his country. That is kind of the paradox with him. On one hand, he's very, very eccentric, but it probably, yeah, it did take an eccentric person to even suggest dollarization in the first place uh, based on the economic policy that Argentina has had. Exactly. I would note he's also very ideological. He is very, very wedded to kind of a libertarian uh, kind of view. In fact, he's been described as an anarchic libertarian uh, or a libertarian anarchist. And in that, he differs a lot from Trump, uh, who has no ideology except authoritarianism. To wrap up quickly, we're going to ask a question that we ask to all of our guests. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were in college? Right. Excellent question. And actually, your example is going to end up being part of my answer. Let me just say for starters that I'm pretty comfortable, you know, in my old age with the decisions that I made back when I wasn't so old. In terms of things that I think are very important in life, you know, I think one of them is making friends and keeping friends. And I was able to do that a lot during my college days. A second one is is choosing a profession that you really enjoy. And I chose economics while I was in college, and I'm happy with that. And then a third uh, decision I made was not to go right on to graduate school, but to take a few years off to do a little work in at least what for economics passes as the real world, uh, which in my case was the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco right across the bay from Berkeley. So I'm, I'm reasonably good with the decisions I've made, but I will say in retrospect, it probably would have been even better if I kind of broadened my social uh, horizons a bit. Uh, I hung out mainly with friends that were a lot like me. You know, we did lots of fun things together, but uh, it would have been good uh, to have kind of like, you know, hung out a little bit more, uh, you know, made outreach, you know, to people of very different social economic backgrounds than me, you know, people of different races and people from other countries, uh, just because that kind of experience ends up uh, standing you in good stead later in life. And then as a related matter, uh, it would have been good. Uh, you know, I did a lot of uh, traveling, well, mainly like in California, going camping and stuff with friends, which was fun. But it would have been good to have studied abroad, which, you know, which you are doing now. And, uh, you know, it's a great way to, to both brush up on your Spanish, to meet people with very different points of view, 
All that stuff builds up your experience in ways that'll be very helpful uh, in later life, both social and uh, career-wise. So those are the things I wish I'd done. I'm now semi-retired, so maybe now I can study abroad. Never too late. Uh, thank you so much for being here with me today. This is a great conversation. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. That was a real pleasure. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Our vision for equipping and developing student leaders to renew healthy civic engagement on their campuses is rooted in AEI's history and mission. The American Enterprise Institute was established in 1938 and continues today as a community of scholars and supporters dedicated to defending human dignity, expanding human potential, and building a freer and safer world. The work of our scholars and staff advances ideas rooted in our belief in democracy, free enterprise, American strength and global leadership, solidarity with those at the periphery of our society, and a pluralistic entrepreneurial culture. If you want to join us in this effort, visit AEI.org or check out the link in our show notes and be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay informed of our events and opportunities for students. See you next time. Thank you.